So Justin Jefferson isn't at voluntary OTAs. It's actually like pretty normal. Let me explain on the lock. You like that on three, one, two, three. You, like you are locked on Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. Thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day each and every day. You can find the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it is an audio listening app or platform or YouTube maybe even Amazon Fire or Roku. Just download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app. Today's show is going to be a whole bunch of OTA updates. Um, we've had a couple now. We've got a sense for some interesting depth chart stuff and and some other things that have come through from the NFL owners meeting and all that stuff. We, we actually have a decent amount of stuff to catch up on. So how about a little bit of an odds and ends episode? But the first thing that I think people are uh, that we most have to clear the air about is uh, Justin Jefferson is not uh, there. By all accounts and reports, there is nothing contentious about this. Remember, OTAs are voluntary. You can miss, you can skip it for a haircut if you want. That is completely fine, and it's within the language of all of their contracts and the, the CBA and all that stuff, that the team cannot make it mandatory. They cannot do any punishments or anything like that. So there's no reason you can do a workout bonus and incentivize you to come, but you can't punish someone for not coming. So Justin Jefferson perfectly allowed not to show up and it makes it like kind of a weak holdout move. If that's what is happening uh, with somebody like other players who aren't there, Dalvin cooked and Neil Hunter, um, you'll know that all three of those guys have in common that they have uncertain contract situations um dalvin cooks of course we've sort of been penciling him in as a departure he'll get traded or cut or something the june 1st deadline is coming up soon i think we'll see movement on that eventually uh but i don't know anything's possible um daniel hunter we'll see what happens and justin jefferson of course you know both sides have expressed that they want to work on an extension that that Justin Jefferson, he was asked about it after the season. He was like, yeah, I don't know. I guess. Yeah, sure. Like he was like, seemed like he didn't really care. He just wants to go ball, which a lot of the players do. They just are like, whatever, that's my agent's deal. Um, and the Vikings, of course, you know, they're going to back up the Brinks truck for him. So that extension talk, uh, it started right away. It's been going on all off season. So here's the thing. When you are in the middle of a massive contract negotiation, I mean, this is a lot of money at stake here. You don't want to go out on OTAs and break your ankle, right? Tear an ACL, something, you know, you just step funny. Like it's not, you're not doing full speed practice. It's not the riskiest practice in the world or by any stretch of the imagination, but there is so much that Justin Jefferson stands to lose if he takes the wrong step in practice. Not that it would, I mean, look, if he, even a short term injury, you go, okay, well, that doesn't really change what you know, I mean to this organization and, and what I can offer to this organization. And, and this sort of contract extension isn't really a short term thing, but negotiating an extension while nursing an injury costs you money. Like they're just going to deflate the value of the contract. That's economics. That's kind of what Daniel Hunter's dealing with right now. That's what Zadarius Smith is dealing with um, and why he didn't like his contract, right? It's just going to kind of 
be a complicating factor. So I don't think as Vikings fans, we want Justin Jefferson to show up to OTAs. I know that's kind of weird and backwards a little bit um, because, yeah, like, what about install? What are you missing? You're going to have to catch up. But like, man, he's Justin Jefferson. He'll be fine. Um, He's he's got this. And what I, I think the way like with this Justin Jefferson extension, the more the higher the number, because I don't think for most of us, there's a number where you're like, that's too much. The Vikings overpaid and now aren't getting value. Like Justin Jefferson's one of those valuable non quarterbacks, maybe the most valuable non quarterback in the NFL. Like you could make that argument. So pay him whatever, right? I think most people are on board with like, just pay him whatever. Um, and I think if you get some weenie provisional deal, some, you know, not some, some team deal that's so team friendly, he's going to hate it in two years. That feels like the mistake way to do this. Like that feels like the wrong strategy. And a really good way to stumble into that strategy is for JJ to get hurt at OTAs. Um, I, maybe I'm just thinking way too hard here. Uh, I, you know, that's all we got to do is all we have right now is time to overthink stuff. So maybe. Uh, but I feel like that is like the path to the worst outcome. And really, let's just have Justin Jefferson sit out OTAs you can, or he can do whatever he wants and then we can sign him to whatever he wants. That's great. That all works for me. Salary cap wise, the Vikings are in a pretty good environment to do this kind of stuff. And I think they have a lot of um, extension negotiations going on kind of simultaneously. They're sitting on about 11 million in space right now. The rookies are all signed. You probably need to sit like set like five aside for practice squad and stuff, um, rule of thumb. So you have some to spend there. You have um, 40 some million in 2024 to spend. And with Jefferson in particular, that 40 some million number already factors in the fifth year option, which has been picked up, which is a $19 million cap it. So it's however much higher than 19 million he has paid in 2024 is all it's going to count against that 45. The rest of that is for Hawkinson and Hunter and whatever else you want to do. Um, there's also ways to change the $28 million dead cap hit with Kirk Cousins if you wanted to and all that stuff, uh, but you might not even have to. So th- there's a lot of flexibility to deal with this stuff. They're in a great spot cap wise to do all these extensions and maybe even grab a random free agent who's out there if you decide you want to uh, trade for a player or something like that's totally in the cards as well. Um, but I guess... All this is to say, until I hear a report, like a direct, I don't want hints, I don't want somebody saying, well, maybe this could be speculation from somebody who maybe knows something but can't say it, so they're gonna, I don't want to read any tea leaves, I don't want Instagram likes, get out of here with that. I want a real, somebody from the star freaking Tribune to come out and say, Justin Jefferson's not happy with extension negotiations. Then I'm not going to assume that he's not happy with extension negotiations just because he didn't show up to OTAs, and people are doing that. I see you. I, you are noticed and you are wrong. <laughs> Just, there is no reason to panic there. Um, elsewhere in the wide receiver room, there's actually a little bit of wide receiver news too. Um, Jordan Addison limited uh, with something. This is the time where the team doesn't have to tell us anything about injuries. So all we can do is sit back and guess. My advice to you, dear listener, don't do that. <laughs> you'll drive, you'll twist yourself up in knots guessing what it could be. Uh, it's like, it's it's kind of like when somebody tells you, hey, we need to talk, 
And then they don't, but can we talk later tonight? And then you spend all day thinking about it. And by the time you're actually having that conversation, it's really about like, Hey, I can't make it on Saturday. Can we do Sunday? And you were thinking like grandma died or something like you, your imagination is so much more capable of coming up with bad scenarios than the real world is. That's just a human thing. We have a bias. There's a reason that we have that bias. It's like a survival thing. Uh, so don't do that with limited players and OTAs. If they miss the start of camp, we can be upset there, but I say stay agnostic to the thing until then. Um, also, Jalen Naylor with no Jefferson, no Addison, KJ Osborne's wide receiver one, and, and uh, Jalen Rager, or Jalen Naylor, apparently stood out a lot more over Jalen Rager. That was not how the depth chart was last year. It looks like the depth chart's a little different this year. It matches kind of how the Vikings have been talking. It's not a huge surprise, but interesting nonetheless. Uh, and of course, we'll kind of keep monitoring that. And the Vikings signed a wide receiver. His name is Lucky Johnson. He was a DC defender in the XFL. Uh, they did not win a championship, fascinatingly. They got upset really big in the first uh, XFL championship since 2001. And they waved Kenny Willekes in a corresponding move. So Kenny Willekes out. Uh, Lucky Jackson in. There goes another Rick Spielman draft pick. Willekes was always, he he was like almost made the roster last year, practice squad futures contract guy. That tends to be the kind of guy that gets cut there. Um, there's a couple other things, though, that I want to get into today. The Brian Flores defense. There's a great piece in the athletic from Alec Lewis about the Brian Flores defense with some stuff in it that I want to talk about. And then um, the new kickoff rule with Kenny Wongwu and how does that kind of affect his stock and all that stuff. There's a lot of people, oh, the new kickoff rule changed. Kenny Wongwu's getting cut now. I don't know if it's that simple. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll dive into his roster odds and how things are going with, like, Lewis Seen and stuff as well. But before I do that, let me talk to you about a good old Gramble. The, uh, the, we have four different conference championship series going on right now two in hockey two in basketball you can go bet on those at fanduel.com slash locked on you can also bet on futures you can bet on how many wins you think the vikings will get you can do some over-unders some special stuff there division odds which are fascinating like if you're high on the vikings the vikings have the second highest win total in the nfc north but they have i think still tied for the third high so tied for the highest odds or longest Division odds. So if you really like the Vikings, go bet the division odds, not the win total. Uh, and if you don't like the Vikings, bet the win total, not the division odds, right? Um, that is all and more at FanDuel.com slash Lockdown. And if you've never gone to FanDuel before, that is fine. Go to FanDuel.com slash Lockdown. You can get a no-sweat first bet. That means if you whiff on your first bet, you could get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets. Once again, that is FanDuel.com slash on. The app is safe, secure, super easy to use, and you get paid out instantly when you win. So go get that no-sweat first bet at FanDuel.com slash on. FanDuel, make every moment more. Thank you so much for making Lockdown Vikings your first listen of the day. Um, after you're done with this, I would love it if you went to patreon.com slash NFL. You can watch my Dwayne McBride video. Did about a half hour on McBride. Did like 40 minutes on Jordan Addison. All of that is free to watch. Uh, you can also watch the history doc if you would like to watch a an entire like season of docu-series on the Minnesota Vikings history. I'm very, very proud of that. It was a huge artistic undergoing for me um, and really flexes storytelling muscle that uh, I feel just got so much better as, as, as time went on as I, as I experienced that. So please experience it with me. Um, let's move on, though, to the Brian Flores defense and the way that it 
seems to be hitting here in the first part of OTA. So Alec Lewis did a great piece that summed it all up, but I think it was in scrums with everybody. So everybody's got their quotes from like Alexander Madison and Christian Derrissaw about how intense is the vibe uh, Brian Flores' defense is. And what's really interesting about it that they keep talking about is the amoeba-ing. Or I'll call it amoeba-ing. I don't think it's the true amoeba thing, but it's a lot of late shifts and stuff, which we were sort of promised last year with the Donatel defense. Like when I learned the Fangio defense, I learned kind of Fangio's version of it and thought, okay, we're going to get something similar to this, right? Um, but the key like thing that was missing that really made that not work was that you didn't get like the the point of the Fangio defense was that you would get all these different coverage calls that would all start from the same pre-snap alignment. So it was really hard to read. You'd see two high safeties all the time, but they might rotate to one high. They might, uh, you know, somebody might blitz. They might be a true two high. It might be quarters. It could be anything uh, that didn't really happen. Um, the Vikings just lined up in two high and just called the same coverage every time anyways. So it kind of did get easy to read because it was always what it looked like. Like they didn't do the disguises we were promised. seems like this is the disguises we were promised. (laughs) And this is going to be maybe a key difference, probably something the Vikings were really looking for in a new D coordinator uh, after Donatel. But from the running backs perspective, this is the Madison quotes really interesting to me. You're trying to read linebackers off the bat. Like you'll, you'll look for, is it a stack or is it a split? Or at least that's the words I know for it, which the way I think of it is, um, is there a linebacker directly behind a defensive tackle? Like, are they straight up lined up over each other? Or is the linebacker kind of staggered in his own gap while the D tackle is in a, a, you know, a different one? Um, that will change the way that a running back reads the play, right? And you can almost read ahead on a play. If you see that it's split, which is where it's staggered, you can say you can kind of pencil in, okay, that D tackle probably has the gap he's in front of, linebacker probably has the gap he's in front of, which means the way the linemen are gonna read this, uh, if it's like an outside zone, linemen will read, okay, if there's a guy in my gap, you know, in a, a gap down from me, I'm reaching him. And the running back can know that too and say, okay, Ezra Cleveland, Ezra's probably going to reach that guy. Uh, you know, Bradbury's probably going to climb. Ed Ingram's going to reach that guy. And you can start to read ahead and it makes the reads easier if you know where these guys are lined up. So the way the defense is doing this, and of course, you know, this is hard to install. So if you can't, you, you can't do this with high schoolers that are going to screw it up, right? But at the pro level, we can do this. And this is what um, Bill Belichick does. And Bill Belichick will go crazy with it. If you remember the 2018 Vikings Patriots game, kind of a rainy game. The the Vikings like ran really well, but didn't run enough. And John Filippo basically got fired because of it. Um, part of the struggle in that game was setting protections. The Patriots would not align until the snap. They all knew their gap. They all knew where they were supposed to get to. So they would kind of mosey that way a little bit, but they would look almost not ready. They would kind of just mill around and they, it, I, it was called a me being. Um, that's a little more intense than I think what we're doing. We're just having the linebackers kind of shift late and it's a little bit more targeted. Um, it's like, you know, true handheld documentary versus what the office does with their cameras. There's a metaphor for you. Pause and think about it. If you get what I mean, (laughs) it's, it's like controlled chaos. It's scripted chaos. Um, but I, I think that that's a fascinating, uh, little wrinkle. And I'm really excited to see that kind of thing in camp, even in like the, the Saturday night family night scrimmage stuff. I want to see what the team is doing. 
um, the specifics of it, which is what like an opposing team would need to uh, to prepare for it, aren't really what like you and I need to talk about. But the fact that they're doing it makes things hard in an interesting way. It kind of takes that running back's ability to read ahead away or takes the center's ability to read ahead on a potential blitz or something like that. Like you're looking for certain blitz indicators, but if the linebackers are just milling around, they're not giving you anything. So that helps. Um, the other, I guess, thing on that defense, uh, Lewis seen who is a full participant. That is awesome. Andrew Booth, full participant. Also awesome. Um, those guys were of course dealing with all kinds of injuries and stuff. They seem to be at full health. And in the Alec Lewis piece, which, by the way, Alec, if you're listening to this, you're on a heater, dude, like four pieces in a row, just absolute masterpieces. Dude is just on absolute fire. Love his work. But uh, there was something where Andrew Booth like gives up a catch and the coaches are shouting at him, leverage, leverage, leverage. That's a really interesting note uh, that and that kind of insight helps me a lot to understand what they're working on with him, where if you're a corner depending on the coverage, you need to be really thoughtful about if you're inside of or outside of the receiver, right? Are you closer to the sideline or the quarterback? Um, and depending on the coverage, you're going to make that decision. That decision needs to be kind of intelligent. If he's making the wrong decisions there, that must be fixed. So that's going to be the emphasis during OTAs. And we'll see if he can improve upon that as, as the uh, summer wears on. Um, but with Scene, who is you know explosive and flying all over the field and stuff, it's it's really difficult for me, you know, without having been there, to really know if that was like good or not, or if he's you know running really fast because he's late. <laughs> um, but that is, it's still good to just see that you know he's seems to be back to full form after that compound leg fracture in October. Um, that's awesome and on schedule. We love to see it. So a, a lot more with this Flores defense that we get to see, and I'm really excited to break it down. Uh, but let's also go to the special teams angle with Ken A. Wongu. And I thought about making like a whole episode about this because it's pretty good clickbait of like, will Wongu lose his job? But I don't think that that's honest because I don't think there's all that much to say about it. But there is at least one segment's worth of stuff. So we'll get into that next. Okay, so. The uh, kickoff, new kickoff rule sort of made an 11th hour comeback. My understanding from, and, and like Albert Breer and Ian Rappaport reported this to, uh, and so it's not just me reading the tea leaves. So there was a new proposal to the kickoff that would change it to college kickoff rules, right? Uh, before, if you had a kickoff caught on the five, you have to return it. Now you can fair catch that and it'll come out to the 25 kind of like a punt, but you get the touchback. That is going to change a lot of things. So, you know, ball like expertly kicked to the one is now no longer like a positive play, which is what kickers were trying to do when the touchback moved from the 20 to the 25. So touchbacks became more valuable. Kickers tried to avoid touchbacks on kickoffs more often by trying to like pin them at the one and force a return. Now they can't do that, which I don't like. I think that's that was skillful you know, kickers being able to do that. It was a skill element and a skill element has been removed from the game. That sucks, but it also ostensibly means fewer returns, right? More touchbacks. So you go, okay, do we really need Kenny Wong on the, on the board? Well, for one, uh, Wong seemed to actually flash a little bit at OTAs from scrimmage. So you can still make the team that way. Right. Uh, but for two, if you think about it, how many 
return touchdowns and then assume, you know, or how, how many positive returns we'll say, cause you don't have to get, you could touch, you could get it back to the 30 and, and feel like you, you know, that was worth it, right? You got positive yards. So how many successful returns do you need? And remember that Kenny Wong was like return average. And of course that average is skewed by long touchdowns, but like, Hey, also, yeah, yeah, that's kind of fair. Uh, was really, really, really good. He's scored three times in his two-year career. <laughs> He's really good at this. Um, I, I think in some places, the dream of making the team as a kickoff returner is not going to be as real. But I think with Wang Wu, there's so much proven that I think he, he still just give him the roster spot. Um even though there are fewer returns, and he was asked about this too, and he's like, well, I'm going to want to take every kick out, kickoff out, but of course that's the coaching thing. And I think there will be a certain gamesmanship in like figuring out exactly, okay, the one, we don't take it out. Do we take it out from the five? Do we take it out from the 10? Like figuring out kind of where your, your threshold is. Um, that can, that's probably going to be something that, that teams like work out over time. But the Wong Wu thing I don't think that the Vikings are going to be the best testing ground for, hey, what if we don't roster a, a dedicated kick returner, right? Like, someone still has that job. Now, somebody making the job only doing that is a little bit less valuable. They probably need to participate in punt coverage and punt return units and in, you know, field goal rush units and all that stuff. Like, they need to, there are other units on special teams. And I think what people don't understand about, like, making the team on special teams, which I talk about a lot because there's always a couple people that make the team on special teams. There's always a Dan Chisena or a Marcus Sherrills or somebody out there that does it on purely special teams. Chris Boyd, I would argue, was that. Like, he's not getting in from scrimmage, right? That kind of 51, 52, 53rd player is going to be somebody that doesn't necessarily get, you know, cornerback six ain't getting in from scrimmage. Um, and that's why I like on Minnesota football party, somebody, they, they asked me for like a spicy roster, undrafted free agent roster make. Uh, and I, I said, Najee Thompson, cause he's a special teams case blocked a bunch of kicks. He's special teams is his identity. Not unlike the way that Kenny Wong, Kenny Wong identifies as a kick returner, like kick returning is much more his passion and being a running back is kind of like the, the other thing he does where it's usually the other way around for a lot of players. Um, and I think that that kind of shows, you know, a lot of people are on special teams because they're a young linebacker, especially at the college level too. You know, the, a, a freshman linebacker is a special is is playing special teams because he's waiting to play linebacker. But some guys play special teams. But the unsung special team stuff, the stuff we don't see, guys that are you know really disciplined at staying in their lane on kickoff coverage, guys that can gun down the field, guys that can be really good punt rushers. And also can then, you know, haul ass, get down the field and, and clog up the middle lanes so that they can clean things up if the gunners miss, right? That Those jobs, you don't pay a lot of attention to them. And they don't get a lot of press. And people kind of think, ah, well, you know, whoever does that, like whatever, whoever the backup is will do that. You kind of just put it in. And, and I, I don't feel like it, like the coaches will pay a lot. Matt Daniels pays a lot more attention to like Troy Dye on special teams than any of us ever will, right? Um, and those spots matter. So when it comes to special teams, if you're just a returner and you're not really that great at anything else, it's never as powerful. I think we just too often, all I'm trying to get at is that I, we just too often think of special teams as like the returners, the long snapper and the kicker and the punter. 
and like the, the the listed spots you'd see on a depth chart. But eleven guys play special teams, and there's several special teams units uh, that, if you're good enough on them and valuable enough on them, you'll make the team over you know tackle number five that ain't playing on that, right? Especially if you need to be active on game day, which I guess brings me to the last thing. Uh, since we've got a minute here, if you are uh, the third quarterback on the roster, you can be active on game day. Uh, there's a different rule set now. Now, it's not quite that cut and dry. Um, you can't play the third quarterback. So usually you can only bring uh, 46 players dressed on game day. And the reason for that exemption, we talked about it at length on Lockdown NFL this week, by the way, if you want to go listen to that, it's Tuesday's episode. Um, the reason for that rule is essentially as an equalizer for teams that suffer a lot of injuries. If you have 53 players and four of your players are injured and none of my players are injured, you only have 49 guys dressed and I have 53 guys dressed. That is, I mean, injuries are part of the game. You're not going to get rid of that at, at all, but I think it's good balance to say, okay, how about we all, you know, you can have seven players injured. I can have zero players injured. I have a better choice of players. I still have kind of some advantage, but it's a little mitigated because I'm not just outnumbering you and you're not going to have guys get more fatigued than my guys because there's just not enough players. That seems like an unfair reason to have a disadvantage, right? Um, that's the reason for that, right? So this kind of QB extra exemption can be a uh, 47th player. So let's say it's Kirk Cousins and Nick Mullins are active as the, the starter and the backup, Jaron Hall will also dress or whoever is, you know, two and three Jaron Hall also dresses for the game, but he can't go in unless both cousins and Mullins get hurt. It can't be a benching situation. You can't put him in, in a trick play. You can't say, you know, so and Cephas Johnson is actually, he's a, he's a really a quarterback or like I was joking with Ross Jackson on lockdown NFL, the, the Taysom Hill thing. Cause he does, he does lockdown saints, you know, the, the Taysom Hill, you can't call Taysom Hill an exception and put him in at tight end. You got to put him in, in on the actual 46. You can't designate him that 47th guy. Um, so it truly is as like a third emergency quarterback. And it's basically a reaction to the Brock Purdy thing, the NFC championship uh, and what the 49ers went through, which feels like a fairly small thing. It's like, okay, you're still basically bringing 46. You're just protected against this one specific scenario that never happens, which I guess if it does happen again, I guess it's nice that a team can be protected from that, but you have to carry a third quarterback on your 53, which I guess gets ever that much more likely. Um, so I probably won't be, I was going to kind of say, well, Mullins or Hall pick one and the other one gets cut. I, maybe I'll be a little bit more willing to put three quarterbacks in a 53 man roster projection. And, um, I still don't, I don't think that's a guarantee by any stretch of the imagination. I think it would have to be a situation where both guys play well enough to be like, oh, you made the team. I wouldn't default it or anything like that. Um, but I don't know that backup QB competition is going to be really, really, really interesting. I want to talk about Jaron Hall sometime soon. Uh, maybe get back into his tape and try to give you something a little bit more uh, substantial than what I could give you, like in the the heat of the moment in the draft and stuff. Um, so maybe we'll get into that. And of course, the Everman series and all that stuff in future moments on the Locked On Vikings podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out. I'll see you all tomorrow. And as always, skull.